0: Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message.
1: This morning, we are closing out a series that we've been doing on surrendering ourselves totally and fully to God. And uh, what we said is we're taking that step uh from just acknowledging that God is in our lives to making him Lord God over our entire lives. This morning, we're talking about surrendering our whole family structure to God. Now, here's, here's a couple of questions that go along with that when you talk about your whole family structure. Uh, first is, what does that mean? What's the, the actual size of uh, what constitutes our family? And, and here's the problem that parents will already acknowledge youth not so much those without kids not so much, is uh, parents know that, hey, as much as I would like to surrender my child's life to God, I don't have the actual authority to do that once they reach a certain age. Because as you know, once they reach a certain age, even though you're telling them what they should do, they're going to go off and do whatever they want to do. And all the parents said amen. But That, that, that's the reality of it. That's what happened. So I'm going to walk you through this, this, this thing. And we're going to talk about it because uh, it's important. If we're going to surrender our entire family to God, we got to know who we're talking about. We got to know, well, how do I do that? Because I can't, as much as I would like to say that my kids, you're going to go and you're going to walk with Jesus every day, you know, from morning till bedtime for the rest of your lives. I know that's not the case. I know they're going to make some decisions that I'm not happy with. I know they're going to do some things that I'm not thrilled about, uh, good, bad, or otherwise. But from a family perspective, here's here's the deal. This is a little bit mind-boggling, but I want you to picture this. Here's the deal. When you talk about family, uh, let's first imagine that we're talking about you. In this scenario, I'm picturing just one guy. There's some guy. We're going to call him Joe. Joe. Okay, uh, not Joe, but Joe. Everyone turned around and looked at Joe. Okay, we're going to just call him Joe. So Joe is happily walking along, all right? Uh, Joe commits his life to Christ, uh, but Joe has in his life. I'm not going to call him Joe because every time I do, I look at Joe. And it, well, We're going to call him Nathaniel. Anyone know Nathan? Nathaniel? Okay, we're going to call him Nathaniel. That's too long. Nathan. Joe is so short, though. We're going Nathan. We're going to call him Nathan. All right, Nathan. So Nathan is walking along. He's a young adult, commits his life to Christ, right? But still, there are some decisions that Nathan may make that may be outside of God's will. And he's making those decisions because, as with most of us, uh, Nathan has parents and siblings who have impacted his entire life up to where he is today, right? Right? Maybe he's not so fond of his siblings because they fought growing up and he thought his parents treated one better than the other. Maybe he loves his siblings and they're really close and they're really tight. So we're going to go with that scenario just because it sounds better. So he's used to a very close-knit family, loves his siblings, and his parents, the way they raised him, uh, is based on how their parents raised them. Does that make sense? Uh, What they pass down to their children is going to be based on how they were raised, whether they were raised as, hey, we should always be a close family, we always have big su- Sunday family dinners, we always vacation together with the family, or maybe they were raised where you know we barely talk to the family, we know they're there unless there's an emergency, no need to get involved with them. Whatever they have poured into their children, those children have passed on to Nathan. And Nathan has you know his parents, they're influencing his life. They're a part of his family dynamic. He has his maternal grandparents and his paternal grandparents. And whatever they bring and passed on to Nathan's parents got passed on to Nathan. He's this big melting pot of just experiences. And they've helped create his life experiences up until where he he is today. So then Nathan goes along and he meets Mrs. Oh, She's So Fine. And he decides, this is the love of my life and we're going to get married, okay? So now Nathan has a different family dynamic that he has to start to picture with and prepare to deal with because Mrs. She's so fine, she's got parents who poured into her life who might have made her the type of person who says, yeah, we do big, big family things, so they match up, or nope, I really don't talk to my family that. I know they're there. They live down the block. They live overseas, wherever they live, we don't communicate that much. That's not the type of family we are. She has a whole different set of family life experiences, which makes sense, unless they were relatives, and then we'd be, now I'm not going to talk about that. But um, she's got a whole different set of family life experiences. So therefore, she's bringing a whole different set of uh, life experiences into the thing. Now, her life experiences, again, are going to be shaped because now she's got parents, but she's got Her parents have parents, so she's also got a set of maternal grandparents and paternal grandparents who, whether she's still connected to them or not, whether she acknowledges them or not, they're all a part of this huge family dynamic. Now, because Nathan and Mrs. She's So Fine get married, guess what? Now everybody's connected. Everyone is now connected to each other, whether it be, you know, Long-term, like, yeah, they live overseas, we just Skype every now and then. Whether it be short-term, now we have all these family members that we have to go visit because their family size has just grown. However, here's the important thing, they're now the family unit, okay? Pretty much everyone else, once they get married, they're the premier family unit. Everyone else is a relative. Now, they may say, wait, I'm really close with my parents, that's great, but your primary family responsibility now husband and wife, Nathan and Mrs., she's so fine. Everyone else, still relatives, still family in the big picture. But now you have this family dynamic that you're starting, and they get together, they get married, and they have a little, she's so cute. Now their family responsibilities have included a descendant, for lack of a better term, of their own. Is is everyone following this? Because now here's the thing. Uh, little baby Mrs. She's so cute. She's now a mixture of all of these family influences that might be, not necessarily will be, but might be and have the potential to pour into her life and help shape her life experiences. So now her life experiences are primarily going to be by her family unit. Uh, Think of it this way. If you think of a, this is not the best term, but it might help you picture it. If you think of a uh, Starbucks Right, And uh, somewhere, there's Starbucks headquarters. But everywhere else, there's a little Starbucks franchise that is an offset of the original. In the same way, somewhere, there's an original grandparent, -grandparent, great-grandparent, great-great-great-grandparent, somewhere, probably overseas somewhere, that if you flow down the line, has started these little family units that then have started another little family unit that then have started another little family unit. And so you can probably trace, many of you can trace your family. Uh, when we did the international prayer freeze, there were some people chasing their family back, a couple of generations to Poland. Uh, I don't remember if someone said the Netherlands, uh, just all kind of places. Uh, and those people aren't here, but their family started over there. And now here's this little family unit with Nathan, Mrs. She's So Fine, and little baby cute. Okay. Now, someday little baby cute's going to grow up. She's going to meet somebody. Unless she's my daughter, it's never going to happen. But everyone else's daughter is going to go up and meet somebody. And uh, unfortunately, as parents, we're going to have to let them go because they're going to go and start their own little family. And from a parental perspective, that's hard because some of us are going to cry. Some of us are going to sing and dance and be like, yes, about time, about time. But we're going to let them go. They're going to go out on their own and start their own little family unit But that family unit, whoever she meets, she meets a little junior mister, he's so fine. He's got a whole family dynamic as well. And so because of, through this marriage thing, through this this marital unit, through marrying and connecting with each other, all of these forces are connected. All of these people are connected. All of these groups are connected. And realistically, here's what happens. We pray for When we say we're surrendering our family to God, we pray for and think about whoever's in the small circle. That's it. That's what we usually limit it to. But what we should be praying for and thinking about, especially if they have the capability to impact anywhere down the line, and because we're all connected to them now, is everywhere you see an arrow, every one of those families is connected, even though, as you go further up, they're technically relatives, and for Little Miss Cute and Little Mr. He's So Fine, their primary responsibility now is to focus on creating, praying for, and connecting their family, but they also have to pray for and think about all of this connection. This, this is, in reality, the family size, and I'm going to show you how this works. If you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Exodus, chapter 1, and you're actually going to see this in play. In the book of Exodus chapter 1, and many of you guys remember this, this is uh, after Joseph and um, his family, uh, and Jacob and his family have gone down to Egypt from Israel, and they lived there, and 400 years later, this is where we're starting uh, from. And if you drop down to verse 15, uh, this family of 70 people had grown just like that. Connection, 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 had grown from 70 people to Later on in the book of Exodus, it says over 600,000 men. Now, when they counted the men, they only counted what is called the fighting men, the men who were of an adult age uh, and able to hold a sword or shield or fight. They didn't include some of the elderly men. So there were 600,000 men, if you guesstimate, from the age of about 25 to about, let's say, 55 or 60. Now, there were obviously men much older than that, and there were men much younger than that, and there were children and there were women, and a lot of theologians, they differ. Some say there could have been anywhere from a million and a half to three and a half million people that made up the nation of Israel at this time while they were still in Egypt. And because of their size, this is what happened. In verse 15, Lexus chapter 1, The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose name were Shiphrah, I'm mispronouncing that probably, and Puah. When you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. And here's the reality. He was threatened. Uh, previously, Egypt, the, the Hebrew, the Israelites, they had a good relationship. That's why the previous, uh, well, several um, pharaohs back had said, come and let them live there, gave them the choicest area for their sheep and all that kind of stuff. But then they blossomed to somewhere between a million and a half to three million people. And this current pharaoh felt threatened. And here's just a side note because this happens today. If you're in and involved in and part of a God-honoring family that's trying to live according to God's morals and views, there are people that are going to feel threatened by you. And they're going to attack you. They're going to come against you because you present something that they want nothing to do with and sometimes that they're afraid of. Wow, how'd that happen? Okay, so here's, here's what happens next. Here's what happens next, right? Verse 17, the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt summoned. The mid oh, excuse me. What, let me start. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do, and they let the boys live. So basically, instead of killing the males, like he said, because he was trying to cut off the population explosion, they said, hey, you know what? We fear God more, and we're going to let these guys live. And they did. And this is what happened. This, that's, that is a picture of surrendering your work life, like Stephen was talking about last week, to God. I'm not going to do something that's morally wrong that goes against God's code just because an employer tells me to or a government tells me to or anyone tells me to. I'm going to submit myself and surrender my work life to God and drop down the verse 20. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. When you do the right thing. Think God honors that and God blesses that. Jump over to chapter two. Now here's what happened. I'm going to read this straight through. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman and she became pregnant, gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was with a fine child, she hid him for three months. I wanna just underline that. She hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch, then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Now here's 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 the reality because that's from a parenting perspective, that's pretty much our role. There's going to come a, a point in our kids' lives when we can't protect them any longer from the influences of people at school, from MTV, from, from, from everything that's going on in the culture. We won't be able to step in and intervene. We can have a say, but we don't have the authority to stop and pull them away. There's going to come a point where we can't do anything else. Verse 5, then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to go get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. And, and this, is, this is the perfect picture. And I know it, it. Moses is a baby, and, and and there's a decree, but this is the perfect picture of what it means to surrender your family to God, because at some point, you're not going to have the authority to tell your children what they can do, what they cannot do. From the get-go, you don't have the authority to tell your parents what they can do and what they cannot do, and you better not try to tell your grandparents what they can and cannot do, because they don't have that kind of stuff, but... Here's, here's what happens. You have to actually at some point surrender them to God it means literally stepping back, letting go, and praying that God, who does have the authority, will take it from there. Okay? That means that although I'm going to I'm gonna I'm gonna push them out, I'm gonna let them go, I'm going to pray daily. I'm going to seek God daily, that God. I can't control this 18, 21, 42, 52, however year old. But you have the authority to intervene in their lives where I cannot. Because God can change hearts. We can try to change their minds. God can change hearts. And where we step back and surrender them to God, it may be through a harsh time. It may be through a difficult time. And if you read the story of Moses, once he stepped into Pharaoh's house, he was raised and given the best of everything. He didn't suffer at any point. He, had, he didn't lack for anything. He was pretty much, if you think about it, you know, raised in a Bill Gates house or uh, raised in a Steve Jobs house. He was raised with parents who gave him the best of anything. He was raised as royalty, even though his heritage was being a slave a Hebrew slave in Egypt. Now, at some point, if you read through the book of Acts, it talks about the fact that he realized and thought that, hey, God is going to use me to reach and to save my people. And I don't know why he thought this, but he thought he was going to have to do it one Egyptian at a time and went out, killed one Egyptian, saw him fighting with a Hebrew, killed one Egyptian. And then when it was found out, he was on the run. He was 40 years old when that happened. He spent 40 years in the desert, and then once he, God said, okay, now you're ready, and, and, and just parents for a minute, uh, I know we have kids that we have been praying for, and it might have been a year, it might have been two years, it might have been 10 years. It might take 40 years for God to sink into them, you need me in your life. All we have to do is not trust them. But trust that God will reach them. And we know that they're going to make some decisions that we may not be happy with, but we may not approve of. All we have to do is trust and keep praying that God will reach them and be there for him. When they come back, when the the time comes and they come to their senses and they come back, uh, we could stand there with the judgment face saying, I knew it, you were wrong, this was going to happen, glad you came to your senses. Or we could be like the, the father and the prodigal son's uh, account in, in Jesus, when Jesus tells that parable. We could stand there with open arms saying, welcome home. Everything is ready for you. You're still a part of this family. And I love you more than you can ever know. And somebody turn off that screen. It's very distracting. <laughs> okay, so um, uh, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, a lot of the family issues that we deal with sometimes are a little crazy. Uh, Sometimes they're hard, but sometimes if we could just take a step back, because I know this is, when it comes to talking about family, it it, it drives us crazy. Sometimes it drives a stake through your heart. Sometimes it's very painful, but sometimes if we just take a step back and look at it in another perspective, it's actually pretty funny if you look at it. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to play a video, uh, get your mind set for the next phase, and then we'll continue in just a minute.
0: So I tried surrendering my whole family, but God wouldn't take them. You ever notice that even in the humor that the community presented, often when when we talk about our families, the humor is often based on running them down. You know, a few years ago, um, my wife was a little bit frustrated with her mother. And the first thing out of my mouth was, You know, your mother is no more whack than my mother. It's just that my mother has enough decency to live 500 miles away at the beach. The thing is, is that I love my mother. And Karen loves her mother. But often, we treat family members badly. We don't treat them with the respect they deserve. We don't treat them how we want to be treated. You know, that's often why family jokes, especially mother-in-law jokes, are so funny. They're based on humor, running those people down. And that shouldn't be the way it is. You know? The joke I just told about surrendering my whole family to God and they won't, he, won't, he won't take them. Okay. I don't really want him to take them. I love my family. But it's almost a universal thing for to talk about some member of our family not in the nicest way. It's a human thing. It's a human condition. We often say things as humor. That are destructive. So my thing about families, you know, the family life is difficult. I know yours isn't, but mine can sometimes be. And so the one thing that I really like to engage in is prayer. And um and first First Thessalonians, I can barely see that. 5.17. It says, pray continually in the NIV. Pray without ceasing, King James Version. In the Amplified Version, be, I'm sorry, unceasing in prayer. Praying perseveringly. That's a hard word to say. Perseveringly. The point is, is that you're always supposed to be in prayer. Always. You know, it should be part of your family life. Is it? Do you pray together as a family only at meals? You know, you, you say grace. There's a TV show called Duck Dynasty. How many have seen it? All right, several of you. The thing is, is that at the end of each show, they show the family saying grace, and it's a pretty meaningful prayer. You know, but that's the common view of family prayer in the world you know you're leaving your, you and your family or somebody in your family is leaving the house can't you take a few seconds to say a quick prayer with them pray for they for you know that they make it where they're going safely pray that their life will be effective the people they meet you know it doesn't have to be a long prayer 30-40 seconds God knows what's on your heart. He knows what you mean. There's a, um, a litany that says, the family that prays together, stays together. You know? Um, when something is just on your mind, maybe it's something the other person did that's bugging you, so you talk it out, and then you pray about it. Prayer isn't a, very effective way to solve problems. God listens. He listens. Pray for a family when you're alone. God, I'm away from my family. Just be with them. You know, it's not have to be any long thing. You're just talking to them. Asking for forgiveness for yourself for the way you treated them. Asking for God to Be with them wherever they're at. Asking God to help them to be effective. doesn't have to be a big deal. You know? Just talk to God about your family. Include him in your life. (laughs) You know, one thing that my... There's a few things that my family does... Like, there's some shows on TV we watch together. We watch the Pirates and hockey together. My daughter doesn't really like football. I want a paternity test. So, um, you know, but we play Scrabble, there's some TV shows on TV that we watch. But look for something, anything, that your family can do together. Something you can do together as a group. You know, it's a small family, maybe it's just husband and wife. Maybe it's husband and wife, and as Pastor Floyd said, and she's so cute. <laughs> so, you know, brainstorm. Maybe you can't think of anything. All right? Just get together and think of stuff. Does anybody have any ideas? Oh, come on playing the cricket song in the background. Anything at all that you can think of that families can do together. There you go. Say again. Yeah. I'd be afraid to do that because my legs would be still on the rope. And I'd be at the bottom. It's, the bungee would come back up and there'd be my legs. It'd be really bad. Absolutely. Set it in. Things you can do together. That's Family, football. Uh-huh. <laughs> Strike that. <laughs> but that's a good thing. Any housework. Outside work, housework. You know, just work around the house together. There you go. Split firewood. I always buy it in a a separate cord, so I don't have to do that. Say again? Wash the car. Don't they wash themselves when it rains? (laughs) Taking a walk together. Holding hands is optional. just things you can do together as a family. And from these few items that we've talked about, you can think of things, you can think of additional things. Your family can get together and talk about it and think of additional things. And it doesn't have to be something you do all the time. My in-laws often in the fall, drive up the sky and drive in the mountains and look at the leaves, you know? So there are things you can do together.
1: I will say, um, I will say this: of the the things, some of the things that you guys shouted out. There's probably more things going through your head right now uh, that you're thinking of, Um, all kind of whether it be games or card playing or or doing something. And I, I love the fact that it doesn't have to be every day doesn't have to be weekly. It doesn't have to be monthly. It doesn't have to be set in stone. Because there are, no offense, some of the children who are like, we're doing that again. <laughs> and, and, and they're going to look to schedule something to take up that time. But here's, here's, here's the cool thing why I think this is so awesome. Is because you can ask them, hey, this is your week. Or this is your month. Or this is your turn to pick something for all of us to do together, which for some of you, you know, um, John and Diana are not here, but that would mean they would actually have to spend eight hours in front of a video game screen because all of their kids probably pick something like that. For some of you, it may be trying something new uh, that you've never tried before. It may mean um, horseback riding. It may mean uh, just doing something that's totally different. But the fact is that you're engaging the family and doing all of these things together. Before we continue, I'm going to ask the uh, ushers to come forward, and we're going to just worship the Lord with our ties and offerings. So, uh, bow your heads with me as I pray. God, we just pray as we talk about surrendering our family to you, surrendering our work to you, surrendering our worship to you, surrendering our life to you. God, that even now you would be just uh, your your spirit would be pricking our hearts with ideas and ways to bring and keep. Our family together. I pray that uh, you would continue to bless us as we continue this celebration. But I pray that you would bless every family in here. We pray this in Jesus' name, Amen, Amen. As I take up the offering, let me do this. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna summarize this. I'm going to do a quick summary, and then we're gonna do something that's a little different that may make some of you feel a little awkward. But as a church family, um. This is one of those things that, hey, hopefully you can look past the awkwardness and just, just jump in. So let me summarize quickly. Uh, we've been talking about, and I said I'm going to go over each of these over and over again so people get it and remember it. And when we talked about how do we surrender to God in worship, it's expecting God to be good and expect God to do good. It has nothing to do with music. Music is a way that we can worship God. But just like we said, if you sit down at a first date or, a, or, or, or the first time at a movie or the first time at a new restaurant, your expectation is, wow, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be good. And the same way we can worship God, by expecting every time we're in his presence that God, because he is good, he's going to do something good in our lives. And we said when we surrender, how do we surrender our wants and our desires and our passions? Because those are the things that lead us. It is just asking God, is what I want good? Not according to me, Floyd, but according to you, God. When I go to spend money, when I go to look for a new job, when I go to do whatever, God, is this the thing that you want me to do? Is this in line with your will? Obviously, I want it because that's why I'm there. But surrendering it means, God, I'm not going to do it unless you want it. And then surrendering our work is... is uh, expecting to do the good work that God has called me to do. God didn't create the church so we could sit in pews and listen to people tell us God's word. God created the church so we could go outside of the building and share the gospel with people and tell them how good God is, tell them that God loves them, tell them that their addictions and and their brokenness can be healed and restored by a powerful, loving God. But we all have got to go to work. We all, all have to also help out in the community, and God created us, called us, and equipped us to do his good work and to surrender our work. Expect to do the good work that God has called me to do, and when it comes to surrendering your whole family, just like we said, commit to praying for them and commit to being there for them, and for a lot of us, praying for them is easy, praying for our cousins and our grandparents and our uh, uncles and aunts and nieces and nephews, yeah, that's just more prayer, but Praying for them is easy. It's the committing to be there for them when they come back after they've done something wrong, after they've done something we don't agree with, after they've dealt with the consequences of their wrong. Sometimes we just want to look at it like, okay, I hope you learn for this, and and, and, and we want to be the finger in the face of judgment. But here's, here's, here's why we should do that. I'm going to show you this final verse, and we're going to do something a little bit different. In Romans chapter 5, which is a very, very powerful book. If you read through the book of Romans, you'll walk away with so many questions. Don't come ask me, ask God first, because he reveals so much to this book. But it says, but God shows, and this is the Amplified Version, and clearly proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, while we were still in opposition to God, rejecting God, refusing God, while we were still sinners, Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, died for us. God didn't come down, clothe himself in human flesh because we got everything right and were sitting there waiting for him. He did it while we were doing everything wrong and still rejecting him. But he did it because he loves us. And when our family members come back, when they, uh, you know, after we released them and I'm, I can't control you, I don't have the authority, I'm going to let you go. You're going to make mistakes. I'm going to pray for you. But when you make them, I will be there for you. I'm not going to encourage the bad behavior. But I'm going to stand by you like God stood by me. And when when you come back, I'll be here. So here's what I'm going to ask us to do. Something a little different. We've never done this before. Uh, I'm going to ask everyone to come up by family. And then either Stephen or myself, we want to start surrendering our families to God by praying for every single family here. Now, this is going to be a little bit awkward, and I see some people looking around like, what in the ham sandwich is he talking about? Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask first the uh, the band to come up. If You guys can come up. And I realize that you guys all have other members of your family here and all that stuff, but we want to come down here for a minute. Andrew, come down here for a second. We want to pray for you as, as, and your families together. And then after that, we're going to ask families to just come up one by one and we'll pray for you uh, together. So I'm going to ask Stephen uh, to pray for these guys. So you could come over here. And I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me.
0: And help them to live such with their own families that family members that they have that are unsaved will learn about you. In Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Amen. While the band goes up on stage, I'm going to ask, where are they, Karen and Victoria, to come up, and I'm going to pray for Stephen's family, and then I'm going to ask you guys to just come up. If you're here by yourself or your family member's up on stage, we're all family. Come up with someone, and we want to pray for all of you guys. So I'm going to start praying for Stephen's family, and then as God leads you, now if you're feeling like this is a little bit too awkward for me, that's okay. Maybe this is an opportunity for you to just uh, start praying for your family But I'm going to pray for them, and I'm going to ask you guys to come on up. God, we just thank you so much for uh, Stephen, Victoria, Karen. Thank you for the blessing that they are in our lives. We pray that your hand would be upon them. We pray your blessing upon them. We pray that you would continue to make them a strong, God-honoring family who loves you and cares for you and wants to tell others about your amazing love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, as you feel led, come up, and uh, you can either come over here to me, or you can head over there to Stephen, because we're just going to spend some time praying for you guys as families. Just to head over to Stephen. Now, I'm going to ask Christy to come up, and I'm going to ask Stephen to pray for us, and then we're going to uh, wrap this all up. Now, I hope that didn't feel weird to anyone. That literally should be the norm, where we, as a church family, the body of Christ, called together, called from where we are into a public place to be a powerful manifestation of God's presence on the planet. That that should be normal, uh, and hopefully it will be more normal where we publicly are okay praying with and for one another. So I'm now I should bow our heads and ask Stephen to pray for us. Now, I'm going to ask you to bow your head one more time because I just want to pray for all of us before we're gone. We were going to sing, but uh, let me just pray. God, we just thank you for every person here, and even those that aren't here, that you have brought into our family. We thank you that we're connected by more than community or streets or roads, but we are connected by the powerful blood of your son, Jesus Christ. God, we pray that we would never forget that we have the opportunity, the privilege, and the blessing that we did not earn of ourselves to be a part of the most powerful thing in creation on this planet, the church that you created. And that through that connection, through the blood of Christ, that we're part of the strongest family that has ever existed, the family of God. God, I pray that as we leave this place that we would surrender our worship to you, our work to you our wants, our desires and that we would acknowledge just your amazing love for us and that we would never ever forget to constantly as Stephen pointed out, continually be in prayer for one another but also be in praise that we have a God that loves us that much God, we ask your blessing on us as we go we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Thank you, guys. We pray that you uh, just have an awesome Sunday and an awesome Labor Day weekend. Thanks and God bless.